In this episode, I have a conversation with Anna, the spiritual midwife, who, yes, is a midwife, a woman's work facilitator, and coach passionate about women claiming their sovereignty and rite of passage in pregnancy, birth, and beyond. She has worked for over 10 years coaching and holding space for women, both inside and outside the birthing realm, in one-on-one sessions, workshops, and retreats, as well as in the birth space. She believes that if all women claimed their birth and had an empowering experience, the world would dramatically change as women would be a force to be reckoned with as she truly comes to embody her power. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did conducting it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Igniting Consciousness podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Horine, and I am here with Anna, the spiritual midwife. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. We've had uh, quite the journey of getting here, and now we are, like, finally here and ready to talk about all the beautiful, all the beautiful experiences that you have and what you do, where you're at, and we'll probably even go into the state of the events where things are at right now and just let this conversation really flow. So without further ado, Anna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here. We've been trying for a while and I got the pleasure of meeting you, obviously, when you attended my podcast and shared about your amazing breach, unassisted birth, which was epic. And I'm very grateful to have you on as a little unicorn sharing your story. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So I want our listeners here to just really know who you are. And yes, as she was saying, I listen to so many of her podcasts. So she is actually the host of the Natural Birth Podcast and all that information will be in the show notes. So you could also listen to that, whether you're a mom looking to have another baby, having a baby for the first time. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. She also has programs that she offers as well that you can do at your timing, at your leisure, pre-pregnancy, post-pregnancy. I actually uh, signed up for her post-nourishment, uh, postpartum nourishment course, something like that. You'll you'll correct me on the actual name of it, which is so beautiful. All the concepts that are in there, and me as a natural health provider, I'm like aware of a lot of these things, but for a lot of people, they would have no idea, like. Oh, you can do things with the placenta? Oh, there's like ceremonial, more than just, oh, I'm having a baby. There's like, there's history to this. So I really want to go into the conversation of the history of midwifery, what you do, how you see things, and really, as you always say, it's bringing it back to having a physiological birth, right? Mm -hmm. So let's go into that. How, well, first of all, you're a midwife. (laughs) So in case people didn't hear that, she's Anna, the spiritual midwife. And so that's why I'm so excited to have this conversation because you really bring in that spiritual element, which really is natural element, that physiological mm. element, right? And, and really what would be so beautiful for all women to have the opportunity to feel that in spiritual empowerment in their body throughout the pregnancy and delivery process, Right. Yeah, we really kind of touched base on the fact that we are spiritual beings having a human experience, like period. You know, our our whole society is built on this materialistic, um, materialistic, sorry, um, you know, just factory system where we just like go to work mindlessly in the thread mill and pop out babies in hospitals or, you know, maybe not pop them out, have them pulled out or taken out or and and we and we just continue this this way of being without no like tapping into that we're in we're in this life on this ball this planet you know in the middle of nowhere in you know there's just this universe around us and like how magical is that how often do you stop and just go like, wow, how magical is it that I'm alive? And I, I feel like we just need to, as human beings, remember, because we always lived so close to nature and spirit and, you know, one with all. We cared for Mother Nature and 
the earth and revered her. We used to revere women and their life-giving powers and their cycles. And they were magical because of their cycles. Today, it's something that is, you know, women have shame around it. And there's a taboo around, you know, our sex, our blood, sexuality. You know, it, it just all kind of has gone mad, really. And we just need to come back to reality and nature and like you know just come back into our bodies and go like hey let's be me and let's be one with all Mm, gosh yes that (laughs) what an opening right there like that is so powerful and so deep and Exactly where, I mean, and it's not just I feel, you feel, where every woman, especially because we're going to focus on women, should have the opportunity or it should just be. Like you said, like we're human beings. It should Mm. just be. But we're so, exactly what you're saying, wrapped in this, this wheel of how it's supposed to do and all these interventions that typically happen, which it's great. There's a time and a place for it, right? But usually, usually not. Usually it's led that direction because of the preconditioning and pre-programming that we've had prior to. So, Anna, would you mind sharing with everyone, how did you even find it? How did you become a midwife? Like, what was your story? Let's kind of unravel that. Sure. You know, being a, I would say, traditional midwife has always been in the back of my mind. I feel like, I can't even remember when I started having that as, like, an interest, but I came, well, I come from Sweden. I'm back in Sweden. I've lived abroad for many, many years, and mostly in Australia. And here, when you become a midwife, you really become a medicalized medwife, more so than a midwife, right? And when I say that, it's like you become a nurse first, so you're very much indoctrinated into the hospital system, and being a nurse is caring for the sick. And then you specialize to become a midwife. Um, which is about a year um, extra. So I never wanted to do that. That was I don't like hospitals. I've never liked hospitals. I didn't want to work in a hospital. So that was just, even though I could think about it sometimes, like, what do I want to be when I grow up, you know? I was like, well, I'm never going to do that. I don't want to be working in a hospital. Um, I've always been quite the alternative figure, Um Ever since I was a young woman, 14, 15, I was sitting in women's circles with much older women. Um, I studied alternative medicine, nature medicine, herbs, massage, and yoga, and coaching, and Ayurveda, Chinese medicine. I've I've had quite a journey on that uh, natural kind of alternative medicine side of things. And then I also have a little bit of a, I did one year of human rights actually at uni as well, because I also have quite a um, right and wrong sense of like, you know, the world is wrong and we need, you know, I was, I was young, I was 20. Justice is what it is. Fight for yeah, justice, you know, fighter, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, and, you know, human rights, women's rights, children's rights, minorities' rights has always been, ever since I was a, a young child, it's just been a part of me, like fighting for those who need it. And being angry also, I was really angry when I was a kid at the world when I, because I, I already then thought it was so wrong how the world was. Anyways, fast forward um, for the last over 10 years, I, I myself um, trained in different modalities and, um, and started holding women's circles and workshops and uh, retreats, a lot around sacred sisterhood work, reclaiming our menstrual blood and, and, um, our sensuality, our sexuality in a very holy way. And and that just expanded more and more into different kinds of work with women and coaching women. And then I ended up in a beautiful space in the world, a place called Byron Bay in Australia, where I've lived the last seven years, and decided to train to be a midwife there. Because there I could do home births and birth center births and go alongside midwives who'd worked for 20, 30 years with physiological birth, how to hold space for that. Um, I also did training, obviously, in the hospital, but I did three years only midwifery. And then 
ended up did I did go and work in a hospital because you have to. That's another thing with the system. They want you to work um, for years in the system before you are allowed to be a home birth midwife or allowed um, to work independently uh, in Australia at least. And um, a lot of the time, what that does is that you get indoctrinated into the system, and then you don't you no longer believe fully and trust in the physiology of birth. So I decided to quit the hospital after a year and then I went out on my own and I started the spiritual midwife and I um, created the natural birth course, the nourishing postpartum course that you took, yes, <laughs> and, um, and the fearless birth project and just really wanted to catch, because that was the, one of the things that was so upsetting to me was to, whether I was working in the hospital uh, system, in the birth center or at home birth, I could see when a woman was prepared and when she wasn't. She was more so prepared usually when she had a home birth or birth center birth because that was an active choice from a woman who has researched birth and understand the physiology. So then they choose those kinds of places to birth because they understand physiology, which we probably will talk more about. Mm -hmm. But um, so more so in hospital, but anywhere, if a woman comes in and she's prepared for the rite of passage, she's done her research, she understands the labor process, she understands the womb and how the womb works, she understands what helps her birth her baby and what will maybe prevent her from birthing her baby physiologically, vaginally, naturally, you know, um, it's a world of difference. And so I saw a lot of women, especially in hospital, come in uh, fearful um, and getting into the you know fear, pain, um, tension cycle that happens uh, that just creates more and more pain, and then you know you you need maybe something to help with the pain, and then that creates intervention, and then the cascade happens. Mm. Um, so there's a massive mistrust in women's bodies, both in the system and in women themselves, especially. I mean, we hold the patriarchy strongest inside our bones in the way we shame ourselves for our bodies, for our blood, for our sexuality, for, yeah, birthing, not trusting that we can birth, not trusting that we um, were designed to birth our babies, um, not trusting truly in that we are supported in birthing our babies. There's a power that will come through you that will take over and birth your baby for you. You know, it's you're the vessel and your biggest job is to allow that force to come through you to trust it and there are so many things that can make you feel safe and loved and supported and protected in a space where you're birthing and you need to understand what you need for that to happen mm, my gosh so much wisdom in that of what you're sharing and yes i am just where to even begin with that. And that's exactly why it's so important to surround yourself with the right people and like minds so that way, and, and just be open-minded even if you have been, you know, wound up into the system. Um, mm -hmm. But keeping the mind open and, and, and us, us having conversations like this so that way people can just stumble upon listening to it and then realizing, oh, this is, this is how it should be, you know, in this case, this is how really it should be. So let's just start off with your practice right now and how and if you have to do it differently because of the fact that you are not doing it how, you know, how a midwife should be trained in hospital and everything. So how are you being able to go about that so you can truly be embodying you and the way that you want to practice and the way that you're able to practice for women to be able to embody the true essence of being a woman and birthing. Mm. Actually, right now, so I've been back in Sweden for, I don't even really know, maybe eight months now or something. And so because I left Australia, so I'm registered as a midwife in Australia, uh, I've chosen at the moment to take a break from registration. So I'm currently not registered in Sweden. I'm registered in Australia still, but not here. And so I'm kind of in a, um, in a leap year of some sort. So I do attend births. I attend about uh, two births a month with families. 
that have home births or hospital births and I assist them as kind of a, well, A, a spiritual midwife uh, or if you want to call me a, a midwife doula at the moment. So I help safeguard their birth and I help them both, both prepare and help them uphold a physiological birth wherever they want to birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. So that's the choice just, yeah, not trying to figure out how I want to move forward in this country. Um, because in this country, because I am a midwife over in Australia, I would have to do another year of study here and go back into the hospital system. And that's not where I want to be, as I just shared. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how I will navigate in the future, but right now, this is where I'm at right now. Uh, yeah. People can uh, hire me to assist them and that is, the birthing journey. That's so powerful. I mean, there's such a... Well, let's, let's, let's segue this into what midwives truly are and how historically they have been ostracized and kind of demonized or witcherized, I should say, right? Mm. So let's go into that, like what a midwife really is and, and how once mainstream medicine gets involved with it, they start redefining what it is actually was supposed to be, right? Mm, yeah. So women have always birthed with other wise women, right? Before the time they were called a midwife, you know, whenever that came. I mean, that midwife, that word comes from uh, Germany, from German being with woman. And so, um, you know, women have never birthed alone. They've always had their women, their sisters, a wise woman present. Um, and for a very long time, as patriarchy started, you know, however many thousands of years ago, um, being a midwife was the only thing in the end that a woman could practice. You know, otherwise the home was the woman's domain. She weren't allowed to work. Um, but for a very long time, there were still midwives. That was still woman's business. Men did not take that over for a very long time until they did. Mm. They tried to control it before they took it over. Um, so, for example, there was something called gossips that were godsips that were other women that attended the birth to then go to the church, church and, and say, I've witnessed the birth and it's this man's boy or girl or whatever, right? So, but they were also there to like, clean, to care for the mother. There was a whole like kind of party for, you know, however long the birth was and after the postpartum. But that was also, you know, if you look at different texts and scriptures, like men didn't like that women would get together and chat and, and being alone together, maybe drink some alcohol and, and um, share about their husbands, you know. Um, that was just being, too powerful when we're together, right? Yeah. <laughs> For a very long time, being a midwife was the only job a woman could hold, and men didn't touch that. Mm. And then they did. So then they started taking it over, right? With, uh, you know, really wanting to, to just own everything, in a sense. So, you know, it came to a point, maybe, I don't know if it's, I'm really bad with dates, but I would say maybe from anywhere from 200 to 100 years ago. Um, for example, in England, really, really poor women, maybe homeless women who didn't have any shelter, maybe no food, uh, could come to the hospitals and give birth there. They would get food and a roof over their head, but they had to birth lying on their backs and attended by male doctors, right? So it was like kind of that trade-off. Then the the training doctors could learn about birth and the birthing woman in their own way, so on their back so they could see what was happening. And, you know, I, I always get this question, especially from men, but also just anyone who doesn't really know about home birth, that home birth is so dangerous and back in the day women would die. 
back in the day, equal amounts of women would die at home as they did in hospitals because of hand hygiene, right? And when they went, ooh, you know, we shouldn't go from dead people to birthing women, you know, without washing our hands. Right. Um, That changed both at home and in hospitals. So that was a big thing, having, you know, sepsis, dying from, from sepsis, from infection after birth. Um, but that's a side note. Yeah, you know, so slowly birth was then taken over. And this was a transition, like early in the, you know, just maybe, say, 100 years ago, still a lot of women would birth at home. You know, it's been a shift not long ago that all of a sudden almost no one dares to birth at home. And it's, you know, it's so safe to birth in the hospital with doctors and case, you know. But it's not long ago that we would have midwives come to our home and attend our births, and we would birth in our, in our home with uh, uh, maybe other kids or neighbors or whatever, you know, to have our tribe close by. And, and so why did this happen, you know? There's so many so many steps in this story, you know, um, you know, you said something about how it was a witch hunt. I mean, if you go back, really back in the day when there was a witch hunt, the first ones to burn was the midwives because they were the ones with power. The midwives and the women who had, yeah, knowledge about how to heal. There's so much that was lost back then. But if you fast forward, just, you know, a hundred years ago and, you know, less 80, 70, whatever, when this shift really started to happen, when more and more women went to the hospitals, the hospital offered a lot of different things. It's something that you can Google called Twilight Dreaming of Twilight Sleep, which was um, this magical thing that women could come into the hospital they got this drug. They didn't have to experience labor and birth. They didn't have to remember it. And then they have a baby. Hmm. What really happened was that they were drugged, but they were aware during their labor and birth. They don't remember it uh, consciously when they wake up. But during, they were strapped down. They were strapped down. Their whole bodies were strapped down, and they were blindfolded. It's so horrific. This was happening for years before nurses started like speaking up. And they would just be lying on their backs in stirrups and they would, um, uh, you know, birth, well, not birth, they would uh, deliver, which is still used as a word, right? Deliver that baby with like um, metal forceps. It, it looks like a salad um, fork. Tongs. Yeah, yeah tongs, exactly. Um, there's been some stuff that's been done to women that's horrific. And, and you know, there's this th- thought, you know, it's feminism, like you shouldn't have to have pain during childbirth. And so there was also that idea then, like, you know, here's a luxury thing. We don't have to, but the drugs and all the babies coming out sedated and separated from their mother, no breastfeeding, because that wouldn't, you know, really work after that. It was, yeah, it was just, there's been some horrific things done to women to learn about. I mean, obstetrics, how they learn about women, were also on slave women. You know, and they would do horrific things on slave women to learn how to, what birth was or what cesareans was or all these things. So there's some, it's a really, really horrible history, really, um, when it comes to obstetrics. I mean, I'm really happy that we have it today for women who do need it. And I don't think that all women can have a natural physiological birth. Some will need medical assistance, whether that is because they have, you know, there are a lot of comorbidities, they are really high risk, or just that for some reason, you know, that is known or unknown, some will need help, but not, you know, 90% don't, you know? Right. But yeah. we create a problem that they do. So I think actually, if you look at the stats, I would say in the US or Australia or in Sweden, you know, I know Rhea Dempsey says something, she's Australian, that it's an endangered, endangered way of birthing. Like there's less than maybe 5% who literally have a physiological birth anymore. Well, I'll tell you, in the States, I remember, and I don't, haven't looked at it most recently, but I know in New York City, 
they were wanting to have a 100% C-section rate, like in their main hospital there. Like that's their goal. Their goal is to have a 100% C-section rate um, because of the fact that, well, they can plan it and it's a very heavily populated area. So everyone can birth their babies on, on the doctor's timing, the nurse's timing. Like it's like, it, it, it's a, it's literally like a wheel. It's like literally a system. It's like checking into the mill and here we go, like being like a baby factory. So everyone can have their babies and because you're like doing all the things, the checks and the balances of like, oh, automatically whenever a, a child is birthed, unless you say otherwise, they're going to assume the mom has a sexually transmitted disease. So they're going to put the, what, the silver nitrate on their eyes so that way it protects the baby from having a sexually transmitted disease on them. Um, they'll automatically give them the vitamin K shot to prevent from cl- or to do clotting because they're assuming that the baby can't clot on their own. I, I'm mm. serious. Like, if this is a legitimate thing, and for for others listening to this podcast, like, this is what happens unless you have, and it, sadly, unless you have an education outside of just following what you see on TV or what has been, you know, brought down the line. And there's a whole history of why I can can start to make sense of how this happened aside from the patriarchal agenda that which will go into the shift that's happening and everything. Um, but also in the movement of of women getting out in the workforce, they really they took advantage of that of like, look, women can be back out on the workforce again. So what do they do? Let's do conveniences like T V dinners, which totally like I mean horrible foods, right? And then uh, what about birth control? You know what I mean? Because, you know, you want to work you know you can't you got to or if you also want to be sexually active they 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 twisted it and making it seem like oh look this is you taking back control where you can be sexually active as long as you take this birth control Mm -hmm. so that way you don't have a baby and it's like no that was their way of like literally trying to ruin everybody like the woman's hormones and then literally making this huge shift for the estrogen and testosterone and progesterone total imbalance and and I'm kind of getting a little off topic just but it's so related because now think about this and even if you just take a look and I'm I don't know if it's like this in Sweden or in Australia it probably is um like because of that shift with 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 the health and I'm putting air quotes for those listening to the podcast of birth control it has shifted that test the, the hormone balance to where women have more of that drive, drive, go, grind, right? That kind of personality, which sure, you can have great success that way, totally not appreciating the beautiful, divine, feminine, creative, nurturing, power, manifesting that, that women naturally have when the hormones are not totally thrown off. And then now what it's doing is it's totally shifting to where the relationship between male and female is now different because women are really taking on more of that like masculine, I need to fight, compete for success, right? That it's interesting that actually men are becoming a little, they're like, it's almost where their hormone levels are getting in balance as a reaction of the women. And the attraction field is a woman ends up liking men that have more of that nurturing, which, I mean, everybody has a nurturing. We all have, like, masculine and feminine, of course. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. take a look at the, the like, the, like especially in the younger generation, like these pop bands and stuff like that, they're very feminine-looking. And, and I mean, and, like, and, and really kind of, like, playing up that kind of feminine look. And it's... And it literally is changing the pheromones of attraction as well. This is like this is a whole other level of research talking about hormones and how it has switched really with like the introduction of birth control pills and yeah, literally- birth control is there's so many yeah there's so many issues with what that's creating for sure yeah and also and I, how it's affecting like coming out in the in the water supply for everyone. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it is a big topic, and also it is being disguised as you know, freedom and a good thing for women, and it can be. I'm I'm for pro-choice for anyone who wants to do this, but totally. it's not really being well informed. Women are not educated on, and this is a whole different topic about. Well, first of all, the the shame of the menstrual cycle. And- Recording has started. So this is a whole other topic when it comes, well, not, not a whole topic, but this is another, you know, thing that 
women are not fully understanding their their fertility. No one is understanding women's fertility because it's we don't you're not taught at, about it at school. Um, so many women think that they can get on birth control, be on it for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever, and then decide, oh, I want to have a baby, get off and have a baby. And so many women are struggling getting pregnant. You know, you can actually be one of the unlucky ones that you don't even, you know, get your period back for years after you've been on it. Um, it can, oh, it does some, and it does so many things during too, and it can, and there's so many risks with it too. And when you give it to a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, because they have heavy period, painful period, I mean, they just started having their period. Let's look at why they have that. How can we regulate it from a natural side, from a non-pharmaceutical side? She doesn't need to go on the pill for that no. or acne or whatever reasons people get on it because most people just get on it because that's what you do. And there's no understanding that the, the precautions might be no children. It might be, actually can be one of the unlucky ones as well, have a blood clot, um, can die from it. You know, these are actual risks. Yeah. So... I'm pro-choice, and it works for some women, but for many, it doesn't. They also have to go on maybe antidepressants because they, yeah, just so, there's so many things about the pill. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. I opened up a topic train, but I'll just share personally <laughs> because, you know, again, like here in the state, so when I was, uh, like when I was in high school, I did competitive cheer. And so we, a lot of us, it was just like a natural kind of conversation to control your period through the pill. So I did it to control my periods because I didn't want to be on my period while I was in competition for cheer, you know, and I didn't want to be on my period, you know, for my formal dance or my high school dance. You know what I mean? I could control it. And so I was on, I went and, and again, I, I'm all about pro-choice, so I'm totally like that too, but it's like go do, like, have be informed. And this is the same thing with being informed and being totally knowledgeable when it comes to birthing and pregnancy as well. So I'll just shortly go into this just to share because of my personal story. So 16 years of age, I started birth control and I could go in on my own. I didn't have to have a parent with me because I was, I, there was able, there was abilities for me to go and access it. So, you know, I felt free. I felt like, you know, I was making a great decision. I have new other girls that were doing it too. I did it all the way until 22. And the reason why I stopped taking it at 22 is because I was in chiropractic college, so I was in a natural health doctorate program where I was listening to, actually, he was a medical doctor talking about how horrific the birth control pill is. And this is actually a, was a Russian professor who is not a chiropractor. Like, like I said, he's a medical doctor. And he was just so adamant, like, you need to get off of it. You're going to have blood clots. You're going to have this. And, and even for the people listening to this podcast, it's not... I'm not telling you this to like scare you, but I'm just letting you know that like it changes you like totally physiologically. And even for me doing it from the age of 16 to the age of 22 and then backing off of it because I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe I don't want to have kids right now because I want to finish my professional program mm -hmm. and, you know, and I'm being sexually active, but there's other ways to go about that without me having to change like who I am and what my body's trying to do to be a, mm -hmm. a woman, right? And, and to be a human being. And when I got off of it, it took me, gosh, I mean, I had my period, or no, I think it probably took, it took me a long time to get things re-regulated again. And I don't even know at what point it actually became re-regulated, it actually did become regulated again. And this actually, I want to kind of segue into, at the time, whenever I was younger, and I have no idea what it's like out there right now, but since we're here and having this topic, mm -hmm. the Gardasil injection the jab the vaccination was for women that um you know were sexually active and so that way you wouldn't have cervical cancer like that was the biggest thing it was like take the gardasil thing so you don't get cervical cancer and and that was and i don't know if it was like in like i said australia or sweden or anything like that and so i'll share another little segue then so prior to chiropractic college when I was still taking the birth control pill and I wasn't consistent with it because, you know, there's so many varieties and I have never been big on like taking medication or anything like that. And so I wasn't good at being regular at taking this either. So that didn't help that I was even throwing my body off even more. Yeah. When I was an undergrad, 
my undergraduate school, probably about the age of 21. Yeah, so before I got into chiropractic college, I actually um, had an abnormal pap smear. And they scared the crap out of me. Because at the time, I was not educated like I am right now. They were like, you have dysplastic cells. So, so I'm going to say this again for the podcast listeners. They called it dysplastic cells, which is a fancy It's a way of just saying they don't understand what those are, is what it is. And what they did is they scared me by telling me these cells that are here on, along your cervix that we don't understand what they are, it could be cancerous. So we need to do a cone biopsy on you. And I'm 21 years old, and I'm just like, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I have cancer. I felt, I felt disgusting. I felt nasty, you know, like because... Like, who, how could I get this and this and that? And literally, I mean, I had to go through this whole, like, this period as a 21-year-old female of, like, what is wrong with me? Oh, my gosh, I'm nasty. I'm this. I'm that. I could, I ha- I could have cancer because you know what we do in mainstream medicine when you hear the word cancer. I mean, like, it, it's like it's a death sentence, which certainly doesn't have to be, but we won't even go into that, like, that series of conversations there. And so I, like, took this on on myself because I didn't want to even tell my parents about it because I wanted to try to take care of it on my own to not, like, scare them. But so I, I had to schedule and get a cone biopsy done. And, you know, at the time, I wasn't worried about not being able to have children or anything. But I, I like, literally, they, they sniffed a part of my cervix away because that's where the dysplastic cells were. Because at the time, I didn't realize that I could have changed it with my diet. I could have changed it by, you know, meditation, a lot of other natural elements, not by cutting a part of my cervix out. Um, nonetheless, I had the procedure done, and I remember I ended up having to tell my parents about it because they it was an outpatient procedure. I had to have somebody pick me up from the hospital after I had it done. But I remember, I mean, at the time, I was teaching group fitness classes for my university, and I also taught swimming lessons, so I was like, I couldn't do any of that stuff because I had to walk around with a pad on and stuff. So, I mean, it was it was like a traumatic part of my life right there. And so part of me sharing this is because, again, just like we're talking about birth and pregnancy and everything, but even prior to the, you know, child-rearing times or during your child-rearing times, it is so, it, we've got to bring it back to nature. I mean, like, I'm lucky that I was able to conceive a child still. Like, it's not like they took that much out, but... I could have been, you know, but I'm also, I changed my diet. I've radically shifted my lifestyle and everything else. But anybody else that hasn't radically shifted their life, that could have been like the beginning of why they couldn't, they couldn't conceive. Yeah. Right? So being able to just have this, have, listen in and have an open mind and to, to realize that this isn't, this isn't the way, like, what we see isn't the way, isn't, quote, natural. And, I, and it's hard to even use the word natural because there's so much greenwashing nowadays, right, where it, that we have to actually put the word natural birth. We have to put that adjective in front of birth when it should just be birth, right, yeah, or it yeah. should just be pregnancy or, or whatnot. So, yeah, gosh. Moving forward into this, so everything, like I said, the cultivation of all that, I share that story because it was a personal story and I'm just very passionate Mm. about it and wanting women Mm. to just realize, like, you know, just be aware of everything that's going on and know that you don't have to have parts of you cut out of you to change and and to to heal. Like, there's so many other ways to heal. And then now when you're ready to have a child, there's so many other ways to, even if you're high risk, like, why are you high risk? What's the reason? Like, why why do you need to get a C-section or why does it have to be planned or let alone like for you and like hearing like, oh, my baby might be too big. It's like, yeah, your body's not going to produce a baby that's too big for your body. Or let me ask you this. Okay, so we'll segue into the into birthing. Um, yeah. How often do you hear about maybe obstetricians or like somebody else saying or having told a woman her pelvis isn't big enough or that her pelvis didn't open up. So that's why she had to have interventions done with her birth. Yeah. Um, I think this is very different depending on which country you're in. Um, There's definitely doctors saying that. Um, The truth of it all is that very few women have a problem birthing their babies because of their pelvis. Like the reason that would be would be injury, like they had had 
massive injury when they were teenagers or something that messed that area up for them, or that they had had massive anorexia or like were in a famine or something. So when they were a teenager again, they didn't develop. And this is like this is not that common, especially not in the Western world. Yes, anorexia is a problem. That you know, if you've had that, you could have that issue. But most women will develop perfectly, and it's not a genetic thing that some women just can't birth their babies, that their pelvises are not, like, no. There's, there has been something that has caused that. And most likely as a woman, you would know that. You know, you would know that when you were a teenager, you went through something that maybe hindered you developing. But if you, if you lived in a country where you're well-nourished and you didn't have a massive injury, then your pelvis will have developed perfectly to birth your baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you what for I, sharing that. Yeah. What I can say is that because of our lifestyle, she might have a lot of tension, the fascia, the ligaments, the pelvic floor. You know, I definitely have had personal experience of women who might be like, if they're, if they have a super tight pelvic floor, like they are ballet dancers, horse, they have ride horses. Um, or they do the kettlebells like every day for 20 years or whatever. You know, some women who have like, they're super fit and they're super tight. That can definitely prolong a labor or like intervene with birthing if they haven't then also learned how to relax that area and have very a very um, in-tune connection because she can be one of those women but also be really great at relaxing your pelvic floor, at opening up, at being in touch with maybe her cycle and her womb, her vagina, you know. But because we live in a culture, again, like coming back to what I talked about in the beginning, we're so disconnected to nature, we're so disconnected to our nature too, to our bodies, which is like nature. And so that's where it needs to come back to for us to reclaim birth is to will reclaim that we are natural beings. We're beings that can birth. You know, we're, you know how kids draw these, um, the people with the big head and two legs, like, a, you know, like just yeah, heads. Well, that's fingers, actually yeah. really, it's like they are, they can see us really, truly, because that is what most people are. They're just a head with legs. It's like we're missing the whole wisdom of the heart, of the womb, of body wisdom. Mm. We just have this head that thinks, a lot and like gets in the way isn't that the truth wow yeah you just have me thinking because we know that babies you know they they focus they do this kind of like upside down triangle where like whenever they start to focus they're always looking at the eyes and mouth eyes and mouth and Mm. neurologically creating those pathways as they start to formulate their own eye movements mouth movements and everything else Um, but babies are i mean we're all pure like we're all we all started as pure consciousness Yes. And then we start to dilute ourselves, yes. unknowingly, a lot of times. Um, yes. And then it just continues. And it doesn't happen, like, overnight all the time for people, which is why it's really hard to see it. And I see the same thing um, with with my practice of chiropractic and everything. It's, like, the same thing whenever people are feeling pain. Like, it, it's, like, it, or, or they start, like, suddenly having blood sugar issue regulations or whatever. Like, whatever the situation is, the dis-ease it doesn't usually happen overnight. It's usually this cumulative effect, but it's, it's not so obvious, and they just start kind of lowering their standard and their threshold of really being tuned into their body until it becomes so bad that they're like, I need something now. Yeah. And that's what it seems like, you know, in relation to, uh, to women and their bodies and pregnancy and birth. And um, I'll rewind it back when you were telling us about um, women of the of what like the um, twilight birth you were talking about, so they didn't have to feel it and really like they didn't remember anything and how divine the portal is. So we'll get into that in just a second. But there's also something here in the states, like the, it's a quote too posh to push. Yeah. And similarly, where I mean, and then you can choose. As again, you have the choice. If you don't want to feel it, you have that choice of it. But it's not like. It's not, I want us to, let's go into that conversation of how divine and how much of a spiritual connection it is, 
having that baby and and how it's like you're going through a portal. Let's talk about that. So, Mm. right? Yeah, well, to be able to experience that, you have to optimize the physiology because birth is really designed to bring you into an altered state of consciousness. It's really trippy. You know, as you actually birth your baby at the moment of birth, you have such a high, like the flood of oxytocin if you're, all, if you're doing it all naturally, so this is not being intervened in any way. The high is like a thousand orgasms mm. that is being released in your body. I mean, I'm just saying thousand. It could be 2,000. It could be 10,000. I don't know. But it's a lot, right? It's like out of this world boost of oxytocin and other hormones as well. But the cocktail is so amazing you know and if you interfere with that process then you're potentially robbed of that experience so birth is really a spiraling it starts usually not all the time birth is very wild some just have like a bam you know have a baby in an hour and some have like 10 hours 24 hours 48 hours maybe a week of like pre on and off labor until the actual kind of kicking off you know happens so it's really, it's a really unique experience for all women, but if left to birth herself, she will go through the stages, however fast or long it is, that she has that spiraling happening. Now, if it's a really, really fast one, she just gets straight into the spiral and the spiral down and have a baby. But usually, that's you. But usually, there's a you know a few hours of like having maybe the start. And then the intensification, which is usually when she can't speak any longer. She very much goes within. She usually closes her eyes. She really has to go within and focus because it's just so overpowering, so strong. If she can be with that, then that can take her into a really, really altered state of consciousness. Like some women, again, depending on what kind of birth they have, they're so high on all these cocktails of hormones that she can have this massive contraction and then she can fall asleep. And then she has this massive contraction and then she snores. And you're like, what? Like, how cool is nature? There's like this cocktail of pain relief, love, um, deep sense of trance. Just before the moment of bearing down and birthing your baby, is there a spike of adrenaline to wake you up, to like make you aware more of like, okay, is it safe to birth here? Yes, it is. Okay. And then you birth your baby, you know, and, and you need that kind of kick of adrenaline. It's all like nature has designed the process of birth perfectly for all the hormones to kick in exactly when they need to. And your baby has the same. Your baby also has like, all these kind of different hormones that kick in at different times to help the baby birth itself because it's a two-way street too. Like it's not just you birthing, your baby's birthing itself. Before, the weeks before, you might feel the baby like doing all these stretches because the baby's like practicing this movement of birth. You know, your womb is practicing with Braxton Hicks, which is like a man's name again, like naming everything that is in a woman or whatever. <laughs> Practice contractions, I call them. Um, but you know, it's like nature has assigned woman, baby, womb, the whole process so perfectly. So that when it's most of the time, and I really say that because, yes, very much so, there are going to be some women that will need medical attention. There, that's just how it is. Yes, back in the day, some would die from childbirth, you know. So, yes, there is a, a place for medical intervention, but I would say 90% wouldn't. If we leave 90% of women alone and she feels fully safe, whatever that looks like for her, for some that is like in the darkness of the toilet by herself, it's, uh, for some it's in the birth pool with her partner or support people close by, share, you know, sharing that they love her, that she's doing a great job, being really, really reassuring, maybe a lot of touching. Everyone's so different. For some it's being in a birth center, for some it's being under a tree, for some it's being in the hospital. You know, I would say, though, that most women will actually subconsciously not feel safe in the hospital. They probably logically think that that's the best place to be. But 
maybe her unconscious, subconscious self feels that this is actually not safe. And that will create problems for the physiology. Because how the physiology works, I, women are such delicate beings. Like hormonally, we're so delicate. If you don't mess with your cycle with birth control, then if you have a stressful month, your cycle will show that. It might be a bit late, it might be more painful, might be more rich, might be more darker blood or old blood or, you know, it really shows you when you're not taking care of yourself when you've overdone it. The same with birth, like the delicacy of these hormones, oh my goodness, if a woman doesn't feel safe, she's not going to birth that baby by herself. She's going to hold it in. Mm. And that is wherever. It can be that she doesn't feel safe at home or wherever. So it's not just hospital, but that's why I really emphasize fear release and working through your fears before you go into birth. So I work a lot with women coaching uh, and and talking through their fears and how to, you know, maybe prevent them or make them less, you know, like of happening or accepting that they might happen and what to do if they do and really working through all this and really trying to get get on top of your fears because they will otherwise potentially make you have a longer, more painful birth experience because fear creates tension and tension creates pain. That terrible cycle. And that is so key. And if people didn't really hear that, feeling safe. What feels safe for you? What, where and with whom do you feel most comfortable in general, let alone with the idea and birthing your child, right? And the baby birthing itself. Where do you feel most comfortable? And that's where I'm like so big on making sure you have the proper birth team with you. For some people, they might feel more comfortable just by themselves, like you were saying, like some people by themselves. I didn't I wouldn't have been able to tell you that that's how I would have been, but my husband keeps emphasizing he was like, I don't think you would have wanted like a whole bunch of people around or anything. He was like, you birth, like you, you labored on your own for as long as you could. Um, and then, you know, woke, and then I woke up from you groaning as you were going into transition at that point. And, and then it was like perfect timing for me because, you know, of course he was there to be able to help me deliver when I was on all fours and just activate the reflexes to get the baby out. But safe, where do you feel safe? And, and just exactly what you said. And so it's like, as a woman, and this goes for pregnancy, and this goes for in general, tune in and listen. Like, are you feeling safe? Like, who are you surrounding yourself with? What's your work environment? What's the, you know, the state of the events, <laughs> the world right now? Where, what are we seeing? Fear. Fear, yeah. fear is everywhere. Mm. We see what fear does as far as making people sick. That's because mm-hmm. it's affecting your hormones. It's engaging the stress response. When mm-hmm. you're in over-stress response, sympathetic response, guess what? It suppresses the immune system. Your body's more susceptible to contracting things because it doesn't become mm-hmm. a proper environment for healing and replenishment and regeneration. Like how the body naturally is, is a self-sustaining, self-maintaining regeneration, being able to birth a baby system that whenever we're in fear. So I just love that you you emphasize on that and you share that and that you can work with people and you you do you have that with your um pre like not the postpartum but like prepartum um courses where you start to have those conversations. So yeah. even though you're in another country, you have programs where you're you're sharing this wisdom to help people be able to release this. And then you also coach them. So you can coach anywhere, right? Yeah, the brilliancy of um internet Yep. So I love it. Oh okay. my gosh. Yeah. So that I just reach out and we'll make sure we put all this in the podcast notes and everything, how they can find you because that is so important mm. regardless of pregnancy. I mean, of releasing the fear mm. and then let alone in the beginning you were talking about the shame around our female essence, around our menstrual cycle. Like none of this should be shamed. We shouldn't have to hide it. Um you know, and then let alone, I'm sure you probably share the history of how women used to go out and this, like, you know, it was like women gathered together during their time of their menstruation and yeah. they were bleeding on the earth, right? And they would yeah. go out and bleed on the earth together and, 
you know, didn't have the masculine around because it was just this whole other paradigm shift and I'm sure like really a different frequency that they're in. We're emanating a different frequency at that time. And so mm. your courses will prepare that. I I realized even in the postpartum, the nourishing postpartum course, you talked about a blessing way in there. So as we get ready to wrap up the podcast here, uh, would you mind sharing about that? So for any women that are, um, you know, or pregnant right now and, you know, talking about a blessing way versus a mm. baby shower, Oh, yeah, I love this so much. So there's a tradition from the Navajo peoples, actually, of North America, and that's called a blessing way. And now, like, modern interpretation around the world, we call it mother blessing. So a baby shower is most of the time you come around to celebrate that you're pregnant, maybe you do the baby reveal thing, um, you eat, you drink, and there's presents for the baby. Well, a blessing way or a mother blessing is more of a kind of sisters coming together, sitting in circle, doing different rituals and ceremonies, all aimed at preparing the mother spiritually, emotionally, physically for birth, potentially sharing their own mothering wisdom or their prayers and blessings for the new mother. So it's a totally different energy. And I always say, you know, have both if you want to you know, but do have a blessing. We do have a mother blessing. Um, usually it's done anywhere from 34, 36 weeks when you're very ripe and ready. Um, there's so many beautiful things you can do together in such a ceremony. And it's truly to honor the mother and to really love her up. Because a lot of the times in our modern days, we totally forget about the mother. and It's all about the baby. Mm, isn't that the truth? And I was, you know, I was blessed in that I actually had a blessing way before even learning about it in your course. And it was because of another sacred sister that was like, you know, she wasn't big on like baby showers. And I had both. So I, I, you know, I had both. I had a baby shower with the family, but then with my sisters of people that I wanted to share that sacred space with, mm. they came together to, to honor me as I was moving into this next phase, this next um, you know, shift in my in my being and everything, and it was oh, it was absolutely beautiful. And so I am so so happy that you have that in your post, your nourishing postpartum course, um, which would recommend taking that course before you have your baby. But I end up taking it after I had the baby because yeah. there are so many other beautiful resources that you share in there in preparation, mm. and even bathing the baby and. Um, preparing your body for the mindset and the shift and, and like the blessing and so I won't give it all away but absolutely reach out for her with that and so before we close up today's conversation what are some parting words that you would like to share for mamas to be or mothers in general I would just say that claim claim this time you know pregnancy is also very sacred you have this opportunity, if you're really conscious and in tune, to meet things that might come up during your pregnancy, fears, but also maybe, you know, a lot of women get up um, kind of ancestral stuff or maybe from their own childhood, kind of to clear or to face like, oh, do I want to be this kind of mother like my mother? Or what, do I want to do something different? Or is something still unhealed from how I was raised? You know, there's so much opportunities in pregnancy. So I really encourage women to become very aware and conscious throughout their pregnancy and to do their research to, you know, all women are different, all peoples are different. If you like reading, then find books that resonate. If you like more interactive stuff, then, you know, go to a childbirth education course that resonates with you you know, in your philosophy. There's both, you know, in person and online and everywhere. You find the one that resonates with you and how you want to birth your baby. Make sure that you choose where you birth really wisely and with whom really wisely. Remember that how you birth your baby will affect you mentally, physically, emotionally for the rest of your life. Women still in their 80s, will remember their births like it was yesterday and it's important that you don't wing your birth mm. yeah. wow yeah 
Oh my gosh, and thank you so much for sharing that. That is such a beautiful message to 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 part on with this right here. And I'm sure it's gonna raise people saying, I wanna hear more, let's have another conversation. So yes, with that honoring honoring you and to not just wing this beautiful divine opportunity that you have and experience that you get to have as a woman. And and a womb men like a woman right with the womb so thank you again Anna so much for being here gosh I just absolutely love having a conversation with you I love talking to you and sharing energy and exchanging with you um, definitely think I could see having another conversation being <laughs> being coming up as I'm sure the listeners will want that too I'll uh, anywhere else that you that would be important for any of the listeners to find you I know you can find you on Instagram I'll have that included on there and then where else can they find you if they want to take your courses or if they want to do coaching with you? Yeah, sure. So my website is thenaturalbirthcourse.com, and they can go in there and they can find all the courses and the coaching packages that I have. Beautiful. Awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, until next time, Anna, we'll have a conversation, but you have a beautiful and a beautiful blessed day. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here all the way to the end of the podcast. I hope you received lots of value out of it as I certainly enjoyed sharing. Could I ask that you please share this podcast with friends if you found it valuable? And also bonus points, if you could leave a review for me on your favorite podcast app, that would be greatly appreciated too. If at any point you'd like to be on the podcast or have any questions you'd like me to discuss on the podcast, direct message me on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Natalie Horine. That's H-O-R-I-N-E. Thanks again for listening. Now have an expansive and awesome day. We'll see you next time.